If you thought the nicknames Killer, Greasy Thumbs, Bugs, and Two Guns were what we called Shiro and Saber, the pups, then you need to stay tuned for this episode and learn a little history of the gangs of Chicago. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Grab your Tommy gun and let's get into some organized crime. Years ago today, a notorious date in Chicago history, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Seven people were murdered in the Lincoln Park neighborhood. Gangster Al Capone was in Florida that day and never charged, but many believe he was the mastermind behind the killings. The victims included five members of a rival gang, the two others were their friends. Matt Uris for CBS Chicago. Hey guys, welcome back to Cryptic Soup. Happy late Valentine's Day. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. And we figured the best thing that we love to do here at Cryptic Soup is give you a real feel-good holiday story. One that just, you know, like, makes you realize what the holiday's all about, right? Gives you all the warm and fuzzies inside. <laughs> all of them. So why not tell you about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Because, you know, what's better than bringing in the holiday spirit with some death? <laughs> here in this house, that's what we do. <laughs> So we figured today we're going to take it back to some 1920s action with some Tommy guns, some gangsters and mobs and crazy wild Chicago adventures. Ah, uh, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> Kylie, do you know this one? No. Do you know anything about it? No. Really? Because it's not too far from our neck of the woods. So. Nope. Hmm. Guess you're in for a treat. I'm excited. Because I, I, uh, no big deal. Cracks knuckles. I killed it with this, uh, outline. <laughs> No, it's pretty subpar. I'm really excited. Okay. <laughs> so I guess let's jump in. It's kind of pretty all right. <laughs> so the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the murder of members and associates of the Chicago North Side Gang that occurred at 1030 a.m. on Thursday, February 14th in 1929, a.k.a. Valentine's Day. Seven men were murdered at a garage at 2122 North Clark Street in Lincoln Park, a neighborhood of Chicago's north side. For people that know this area, this is right by the Lincoln Park Zoo. And side note, I used to work less than a mile away from where this happened. I've actually walked right by this place like numerous times. Interesting. Yeah. I probably have two. I just don't know. Like, I'm really bad with names of where things are. There's a now there's a parking garage that's not super far from it that has a, a DSW and like a Michaels and something else inside it. But I can't remember. But it's it's like a halfway point between that and the Urban Outfitter surplus. And if if you use a triangle, the zoo makes up the center of it. OK, I think I know where this is. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. OK. <laughs> But yeah, I, I used to work right over there. So that's kind of funny. Like I knew most of the stuff in the story every time it would give me a. Uh, like a like a reference point, I'm like, I know exactly where that is for once. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I was pretty impressed. You with get it. to walk the, the area. The St. Valentine's Day massacre incident was due to the struggle of controlled organized crime in the city during the prohibition times between the Irish Northsiders that were pretty much in control at this point by George Bugs Moran, 
and their Italian Chicago other side rivals that were led by Al Capone. Ali Capone. Is that what you call him? No, I don't know. For some reason, I just like bounce back to when the the good old days when I watched The Sopranos with my. I've never seen The Sopranos, but I really think that'd be up my alley. Oh yeah, it would be. If I, I remember had... absolutely nothing from it. Oh great! <laughs> if I had to make a movie about the same Valentine's Day Massacre and I had to cast people, I don't know who I'd cast anyone as except Al Capone, and I am dead set on who I would cast as this. Okay, I'm ready know? to look them up. I'm ready. I don't know what Al Capone looks like. It's just in my head who I think oh, he looks okay. like. You ready who I want to cast as Al Capone? Who? Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a mob boss. He is In not. the 1920s of Chicago. Hey, let me get my tummy gun. Oh, God. Danny DeVito. You need to watch The Sopranos <laughs> and then tell me that again. <laughs> I think I have a wrong idea of what mobsters are like. Yeah. You watched Riverdale. Come on. I know, but... <laughs> Danny DeVito would make a good mobster. He was a good penguin in Batman. That's true. You didn't that's remember like the it was first, him. Yeah, that's like the first serious, like the only serious thing I've seen him in. No, he's in me, other series. Me, oh. I've seen him in. So we're off the rails. <laughs> we went but. back to movies, guys. <laughs> oh, God. Also, hey guys, Batman comes out next, like, next week. Yeah. Next no, week. it does not. Next week. It's the week after. Is it the week after? Well, okay, so right now is the 10th. It's three weeks. Okay, it's the 10th. Next week's the 17th. Then the next week's the 24th. Then the next week's the 3rd. And it comes out the 4th. Oh, okay. Well, Batman's coming out soon. <laughs> it comes out the 3rd. Okay. Whew. Okay. <clears throat> Imagine if they make a sequel to Batman <laughs> and Robert Pattinson is still Batman and they recast Danny DeVito as the Penguin and it's just Robert Pattinson being the shit out of Danny DeVito. <laughs> I would pay so much money. (laughs) (laughs) It's my two favorite men. If you don't like Robert Pattinson in this, you can just you can just keep scrolling. (laughs) I love Robert Patty. No, what I call him in the group chat, Robbie P. Yeah, he's like, who the fuck calls him Robbie P? I do, bitch. (laughs) Corey had no idea who you were talking about. Okay, moving Um, on. Okay, so Al Capone, Uh, Ali Capone. The perpetrators of this crime have never been of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre crime have never been technically identified, but former members of the Ian Ratz gang who were working for Capone are suspected of the roles. As are many other members of the Chicago Police Department or who Mm. allegedly were wanting revenge for killing a police officer's son. We're going to go through a lot of different gangs and I... I pretty much keep just saying like, oh, this one's tied to this mob boss. This one's tied to this mob boss so that you guys don't have to try to memorize everything. I try to do that every time I bring up a new gang because, you know, we're, we're going to go through quite a few. So how did all this begin? Who started this? It already is confusing, right? Well, Al Capone was widely assumed to have been responsible for ordering this massacre, even though he was actually at the current time of the massacre in his Florida home. But the massacre was an attempt to eliminate the North Gang, which was his, you know, rivals. Well, that's like the beauty of being a mob boss, you know. Yeah, you just put the You don't have out. to be there. That's the whole point of being a mob boss. Right. <laughs> you don't have to get your hands dirty. Right. But you still get all the uh, money monies. Money monies. Cash, ca- cash, cash flow. I struggled. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I hate to do the whole, you know, Kylie, history, history before the before the mystery. Yes, Kylie, <laughs> don't give me that look. Okay, I was trying to avoid saying it for once. <laughs> so the whole history before the mystery, but we got to do it again. And I genuinely have to because this massacre, like, yeah, it's this cool. No, not cool. It's this <laughs> wild is what I meant event that happened and it's a big deal it's cool to talk about but it was an event that was the gigantic climax to a decade of violence between the irish and italian gangsters and mobsters in the area the gangs had been fighting over the money that was involved with bootlegging gambling prostitution everything and to give you an idea of how much money was at stake during this time Al Capone was worth $100 million in the 1920s. That is a lot of money in the 20s. That is so much money. To give you an example, during the actual shooting time of 1929, Capone was worth $1.3 billion in today's standards. That's a little little bit of money. How much is Robert Pattinson worth? I don't know. He's priceless, okay? True. But we all know Notorious B.I.G. said it best, mo money, mo problems. And that is exactly what happened during this time. The more money that was involved in all these relations and things grew to being bigger problems and everyone wanted the money during this time. But no one knew the lengths that other gangs would go to to achieve these like chaotic money dreams. So let's hop in a little time machine and go all the way back before Chicago was even a city. Wow. A while ago, huh? <laughs> We're going to go back to 1837. Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a little bit ago. The case is 1929, so okay. stick with me, guys. Mm. I promise it'll be a good ride. In 1837, Chicago finally became incorporated as a city. In 1850, the population had 80,000 people. But the city didn't have a police force at the time. They had nine watch marshals. That was it for all 80,000 people. Okay. Obviously, crime was very high during this time, and the city thought they needed something to help them with this crime rate. So by 1855, the city had this, like, bare-bones police force that really sucked, to be honest, but (laughs) people knew that someone was going to be there enforcing laws at this point. So that made criminals want to have an easier way to hide from the police, right? And this is one of the craziest things I've ever learned. I lived in Chicago for years, and I never knew this. Chicago was built over a swamp area where it was super murky and muddy all the time, and they had wooden streets, and the mud would just ooze out from the wooden planks. So they decided the city needed to be mud-jacked, which is where they essentially raised the whole city up. So what they did was they put the city on stilts and stones that made the whole city sit 10 to 15 foot higher than it used to to avoid the murk, and they just made everything bigger and like higher up huh learn something new every day so the reason why this is wild is because there's now all these underground tunnels and underground areas like almost like basements but they're tunnels that lead throughout the whole city have you ever gotten stuck in the wabash tunnel area no oh my god 
there's like the underground part of Wabash and then there's the above part of Wabash. Actually, and yes, the underground can- part is fucking terrifying. I have a story for you about that real quick. <laughs> if your car gets towed, they put it in the underground spot, but they put it in the middle of the two grounds. So you have to drive across the top one, go to the underground one, and then there's a special exit to take to the middle of one. And then when you try to leave, you have to like almost go down like this one-way street area and then it like flips to a one-way street. It's terrible. No. Never get your car towed in Chicago, people. It's fucking awful. But also like just turn your GPS off and just never go down if you're going to Wabash because it's just like gonna look at some street names and then try to make your way through downtown. It'll go way better than you trying to like because you're gonna be looking at your GPS and you're gonna miss the one way streets. You're gonna miss the weird lights. You're definitely gonna miss the fucking pedestrians because everyone just is like, (laughs) fuck my life in Chicago and they just fucking do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, no, every single time we went for restaurant week because we go every year, we stay on off of Wabash. The hotel Do you is stay at awful. the Drake? Oh, uh, no. Oh. I don't remember what it's called. It changes every single year we've been there. <laughs> the Drake isn't off Wabash, but I've just always wanted to stay at the Drake. Oh. Um, <laughs> it just has a cool neon purple sign. But every time me and Corey are like, okay, we're not going down. We're not going. We're not going down. We're just going to stay above and then we'll find it afterwards. <laughs> it's so scary if you end up getting under. It like has an eerie feeling knowing that all this is underground, too, mm-hmm. because it's you're just up there living your life and then all these criminals are living below i mean at that time i mean still maybe to this day oh probably to this day (laughs) too yeah that is creepy so with this happening it had this new crime subculture that overtook chicago in the undergrounds and that's where the term underworld came really popular it was not um that movie with that girl in the skin tight i've never seen it kate beckinsale i want to say might have made that up it might not be her. I don't know. Someone will correct me. <laughs> They'll be like, it's Julia Stiles. <laughs> oh, of yep, course that's it, it. That's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why they started calling things an underworld when it's like dark and seedy and like crime filled and stuff like that. It's kind of a tribute homage, if you will, to Chicago's underground underworld. So when the city was raised, criminals in the area were practicing their trades in rooms and tunnels beneath the city is really what that all alluded to but you know i had to get you there around that same time an english immigrant named roger plant had ran a brothel in the chicago netherworld underground called under the willows and he became chief of the criminal underworld so like they had a hierarchy down there even that's not super important to the storyline i just again found that one little little tidbit interesting so in 1873 a man named mcdonald was a crime leader, and he started putting police on his payroll, which started a new trend with crime bosses, and it helped their careers grow exponentially because now they weren't getting caught by being mobsters. It was the new future template for criminals and mobsters. Like, all you gotta do is put them on the payroll. It's, um, brilliant? Mm. Illegal, but brilliant. Hella illegal. (laughs) Super brilliant. I would like to be the mobster in that case, not the cop. Yeah, because if you get screwed by one side, you get screwed by the other side. And I'm pretty sure if the one side is the mob side, you're dead. Well, and imagine if you have a partner, if you're a bad cop and you get partnered with a good cop. How have you ever seen the movie The Departed? Uh-huh. Like, that's what I think of when I think of these kind of things. I mean, any movie, really. Okay, okay. The Departed <laughs> is one of the best movies of all time. 
I'm going to stand firm with that decision. Don't okay. give me the look. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I currently have been making a list of movies that every single person person should see <laughs> should see at least once in their life. And that was in my top five of the list. Because everyone should see The Departed, even though it's so long. It is really long. I think it's like almost three hours. I also have The Green Mile on that list, though, and that's three hours. Moving on. <laughs> Again, we're talking about movies. All this rolled together is a big part of what shapes further mob boss and criminal thoughts and things that occur. And as this is all happening, a lot of other crazy criminal wise things happen between 1870 and the early 1920s. But I don't I don't have enough time to go through all of it. <laughs> so we're just going to pick a few different ones and go with them. In 1910, the Chicago police arrested 200 known Italian gangsters in a raid of a place called Little Italy, but none of them were convicted. And you have to remember, this is not very long after the whole police are on the payroll thing, so you got to think. So we're not going to go over everything, but another really interesting thing happens that we should talk about. The 18th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was passed in January on the 16th of 1919. You're like, I have no idea what amendment that is. Okay, so this amendment was a huge blow to the brewing industry of Chicago because it declared the production, transportation, and sale of intoxicating liquors illegal. It didn't outlaw the consumption of alcohol, just like every single thing dealing with it. Like, don't even fucking look at it. Bad. <laughs> so why is this such a big deal, you wonder? So prior to the prohibition, Saloon and bar licensing fees contribute to 25% of the city's annual revenues. So that resulted in an estimated loss of $8 million or more per year. Yeah, because that hit Chicago. Sex, drugs, hard. and rock and roll is what keeps a, <laughs> you keeps think, a city alive. <laughs> you think in 1920 the motto was sex, drugs, rock and roll? I think it was like no prostitution. Sex. Well, I don't think they called it sex back then. It had to be like more dirty sounding. And like, you know, I think they called it prostituting mm -hmm. um, drugs. Okay. Like prostituting and stuff. cigars and and uh, alcohol gangs. Tommy gun. <laughs> 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 I can't make a Tommy gun. My ale. My ale. Yeah. My my whiskey over there. <laughs> I don't know what this accent what is. What is this accent? <laughs> We're in Chicago. Literally. Right. <laughs> This isn't the Wild Wild West. <laughs> I just want it to be Wild West. If they're drinking, they're they're from the West. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to ask me, Kylie, about this, so I did throw it in just as a little tidbit for you. I threw in the population numbers just so you kind of had an idea, because at the beginning we said there was 80,000 people. In 1920, the population had bumped up to 2.7 million people. Yeah, just a little bit of bump up. A little bump. <laughs> By 1930, because the massacre happens in 1929, so I got the next decade. By 1930, it was 3.3 .3 million people. And in 2020, nowadays, it's up to 2.8 million. So not far off from 1920, but less than 1930. Interesting. Yeah. So you have to think what we're talking about in 1929. It's the same amount of people as nowadays. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. And there weren't like the L system and everything else. Like, how are they to get from one side of the city to the other? That must be hell. That's they, like, really interesting. Horse? Like, how? 1920s. I bet you it was cars, less. right? 
I bet you it was a lot more like 20 years ago. How, what year were cars invented? I feel like that's a really dumb question. But in 1920, were cars like used? Yes. But were they popular enough or did only rich people No, like rich people, I think. So the mob bosses... Literally they in the story had. later, I talk about cars and limousines. I knew they had cars. <laughs> Fuck. I'm stupid. <laughs> Let's just go. Con- continuing on. So the prohibition had not only a big impact on Chicago, but it had a big impact on gangs and mobsters. The gangs made most of their money by illegally selling and importing liquor at this point. And when I say it had a big impact, it was a good impact on them because they were selling this to make money. So now mobs were getting so much more money than they used to. Getting the big bucks. Big bucks with big consequences, Kylie. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) It started huge rivalries and the gangs now amplified all the heightened emotions now. Because now the cool thing to do would be to like hijack and steal liquor, not only from another company, but from another gang. Sounds like a sounds like a fun war. Well, to make the war more crazy, I'm glad you said that. (laughs) In the 1920s, also, the Thompson submachine gun, otherwise known as the Tommy gun, as I've been bringing up, had finally came out. Just so you know, when they put this gun on the market, they nicknamed it the Annihilator because it literally would just annihilate you. (laughs) Annihilate, yeah. It became the weapon of choice for tons of people that were in mobs and gangs. The gun was meant to replace the bolt-action rifle that was used in World War I, and it was created by John T. Thompson, hence being called the Tommy Gun. And last but not least, my favorite, a Tommy Gun! So we went through a lot of the history that made up Chicago, but let's talk about Al Capone a little, because we need to know why the feud started. Now we have some background on maybe, like, the basis of the alcohol stealing and everything else, but why did Al Capone hate everyone? In 1923, Al Capone established headquarters in the Lexington Hotel of Chicago, and then he gained control of Chicago's suburbs of Cicero, and he used that as his safe base for his illegal operations, because Cicero's outside the city, technically. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of murders that take place after the base was created between rivalry gangs, and these were all known to be paybacks or revenges, vigilante-type things. They were really just nonsense. But the mobsters thought taking an eye for an eye would solve everything. And as we obviously know, it does not do that. So we're going to streamline through some of the murders. We're not going to focus super heavily on them, but they make up what is the massacre. So May 1924, out of loyalty to one of his men, something went wrong. Al Capone shot to death a freelance hijacker named Joe Howard at a saloon because Howard had assaulted Capone's accountant named Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik. And at this point, Howard actually insulted Capone. Yeah, that's a big no-no. You don't do that. I you don't do that to, to mob bosses. I don't even remember what it was, but he said something stupid to me like, oh, are you mad that I took your little rat and I threw him around? Maybe you should take better care of your rats or something. You know, he said something just snide like that. Yeah. And Al Capone's like, okay, so you're going to die. You're dead. <laughs> okay, dead. Imagine if someone said that to um, uh, Veronica's dad. Hiram. <laughs> Yes. I'm watching Riverdale. Riverdale. Okay, so. (laughs) On November 9th, 1924, Northside gang leader Dion O'Brien, nope, Dion O'Bannon was shot multiple times and he died. Probably Dion. Okay. 
I like that better. Celine yep. Dion. Yep. yep. It is Dion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Three men who are identified as Albert Anselmi. No. Anselmi. 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 John Scalis. You gotta like say it, you know, they're Italian, right? And sell me. <laughs> oh, I feel like that's racist. I feel like I just did like a Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be real. The only time I can do an Italian accent is if I'm like thinking about, about pizza Mario? or Mario. Yeah. It's a pizza pie for Mario and Luigi. Yeah. And I gotta do the little hand thing with it. It's a Mario. Oh, yeah. No, you have to do the hand thing. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so, Albert and Sell me. What did we decide? And sell, and sell me. me. Okay. John Scalis. Yeah. Who had secretly been, he was like a, what are those things called when you're a spy for one person, but another person, you're a. Well, you're a rat. A nicer word. Like if you're in the CIA, they're called a spook sometimes, but what else are they called? Like you're a, a double agent. You're a. Oh, okay. Hold on. Don't talk for a second. I have it on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. Like, you're like an informer. You're like a mole. You're a mole. You're a mole. It's a mole. Oh, that's not the word I was thinking of. But yeah, that one works too. Um, so rat was off. Espionage. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I never the word have, espionage. The official word. Yeah. I never I never would have thought of that. No, okay. I was thinking I was thinking of mole. We we got there. Because I immediately thought of rat, but that's well, not right. You it's know what a mole. mole reminds me of. Oh god, what? Austin Powers mole mole oh mole mole. <laughs> mole. mole. <laughs> okay. It's been decades since I've seen that movie. They're really bad movies, but I love them. So John had became a, a mole, a rat, whatever you want to call him. He was actually on Al Capone's side now, but no one else knew that. They thought he was still on the other side. And then the other guy was Frankie Yale. They entered O'Banion's flower shop called Showfields, and they were pretending that they were going to pick up a floral arrangement. And then O'Banion's murder began. Nope, O'Banion's murder happened, and it began a five-year gang war between Northside who were under O'Banion's control and Al Capone's Chicago gang. So the North side was under O'Banion at that time. Next, they go to Hyman Weiss and then Vincent, the schemer, Drukey, and then George Bugs Moran. So, okay, you typed it Jaime and that's funny. Is that his name? Jaime? Yeah. Oh, you said Hyman. So I just want. Did I really? Yeah. Well, I'm a woman. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) <laughs> i just like the name jaime jaime's way better did i really call him hyman yeah oh my bad bro i think like that'd be a really cool name for a dog hyman jaime <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds greek jaime 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 come here jaime i hate that i hate zany so ah oh, mean <laughs> November 1924, following O'Banion's murder, another Northside gang member, who was also a highly decorated World War I veteran named Sam Nails Morton, was riding a horse in Chicago's Lincoln Park when the horse threw the gangster off and then kicked him to death. Hmm. Morton's gangster buddies got the last word in because they murdered the horse. Hmm. And supposedly, 
they said that this was a hit planned by Louis Two Guns Altieri from a rival gang. I don't know how it was a hit, but it was a hit. So don't ask me more on that. I I got you what I could. The horse was the mole. <laughs> so the only thing I can think of is in The Princess Diaries 2, when Mia Thermopolis is riding the horse and the guy has the bag and he takes the yeah. fake snake and he pretends to scare yeah. the horse and the horse goes crazy. Yeah. I'm thinking something like that. Maybe maybe they do something to set the horse off. That makes sense. I really can talk about movies all the time. Yes. <laughs> In January on the 12th at night on night in 1925. <laughs> <laughs> on into the year of. around near <laughs> somewhere of, in search of 1925. The North Side gang members, Jaime, <laughs> Jaime, Jaime Weiss, George Moran, who's Bugs, and Vincent Schemer Drukey had followed limousines, the Al Capone and Johnny Torrio were riding in to a restaurant. Both limousines were fired in with a hail of gunfire. I think they used Tommy guns, by the way. But Capone and Torrio weren't the ones that were hurt. In fact, the only people that had something happen was Torrio's chauffeur and the dog, and they were killed in the attack. No, not the doggy. Yeah, the pup was killed. As no pun in, no pun right here, but as top dog now <laughs> in the Chicago underworld, Al Capone's organization was pulling over an um a hundred and five million a year. Jesus. April twenty seventh, nineteen twenty six, after the South Side O'Donnells had been making moves on Al Capone's Chicago territory for a while, they were now trying to take over Cicero, which obviously is gonna piss Al Capone the fuck off. Right. He's already like, okay. Like, you're taking over Chicago, which is where, you know, I do all my dirty deeds. But my home base, where I really get the real ball rolling, is in Cicero. And y'all are going to try and take that over? No, that's a bad idea. So Capone had had enough. With five cars and 29 gangsters, he went to greet the O'Donnells at the Cicero Pony Inn. No O'Donnell member was wounded during this, like, fake massacre that he tried to ensue. But Capone's men did kill an assistant state attorney who was drinking with the O'Donnells. I'm just like, are these people like stormtroopers or what? Like they're killing all the wrong people. <laughs> like, didn't they you're just not, not get a hit or what? <laughs> all of this, you're like, I literally don't understand what the South, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre is about yet. I'm aware. I haven't actually gotten to it yet. <laughs> I know you've been listening a really long time. I'm really proud. Thank you for still listening. How about I teach you about St. Valentine's Day Massacre now? <laughs> In a minute. In a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the reason why I told you all this stuff was to show that no one at this point had any morals and everyone was just trigger happy. Everyone had a false sense of brotherhood, like the saying thick as thieves, because they thought they were just like these thief gangsters. They were a family, the family of mobsters. Like you always see in all these movies, Italian mobsters being like, oh, it's in, it's the family, mm -hmm. the godfather, the Scarface. Are they both Italian themed? I think so. I think they are. You just get that sense of a, a weird, weird like family. They're always like, it's, it's the family. We do it for the family. They always got the raspy voice and stuff. <laughs> so if you wronged a fellow gang member, you were going to pay eventually. In 1924 to 1925. Nope. In 1924 to 1929, in Chicago, there were 16 gang-related murders that were reported 
1929, there were 64 alone in that one year. That's a little bit more than 16. So I just ran through a bunch of them, but you, you're you seeing, you guys, like I didn't even give you, I, I barely skimmed. These killings were fueling the event to become more and more deadly as it approached time for the massacre. The rivalry was growing deeper and deeper as all the gang members from opposing gangs were murdered and everyone was out for blood. By 1929, Moran was the last survivor of the true Northside gunman. So several factors were contributing to the timing and planning to kill Moran. Earlier in the year, Northsider Frank Gusenberg and his brother Peter had unsuccessfully attempted to murder Jack McGurn, who was another um, mobster. So at this point, they're like, okay, you know, the Northside guys are trying to kill the, I don't technically know if they're considered Southside, but the Al Capone boys and stuff. So also, since they're unsuccessful, that just fuels the fire even more. They're just pissed at this point. Because it's bad enough if you kill someone in one of these other gangs, but if you try and you fail, that's like almost more disrespectful. That's a death wish. Yeah. The Northside gang was involved in the murders also of Pasquilino, Pasquino, Pasqualino, Pasqualino, Patsy Lorado, and Antonio the Scourge, Scourge, Scourge. What does that mean? I know it's a word to scourge someone. Yeah. To do them dirty, right? Yeah, I think so. The Scourge Lombardo. Both had been presidents of the local mafia in the area called the, I assume that this is in that language. Oh. Unione Siliciana. So a scourge is a whip used as an instrument of punishment. I don't like that for a name. I don't want to know what he does. (laughs) Nope. I I would not fuck with him. I don't know why Bugs had his name Bugs or Greasy Thumbs. I feel like Greasy Thumbs, maybe he's like a stealer. Yeah. Bugs, I have no clue. Nails don't want to know how that guy got his. I like Bugs, you like bug someone. You annoy him? Yeah, like, yeah. Eh. But he's the leader of the the group. I don't feel like they would like, because, mm. you know, if you're annoying someone, that's kind of insulting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. At this point, Moran from the north side area whose bugs and capone had been just they both were trying to take control of the chicago bootlegging trade because the prohibition remember so it's this big fighting that's going on and at this point there was a plan for some expensive whiskey to be illegally imported from canada via the detroit river and it had been hijacked while being transported transported through cook county illinois Due to that happening, everyone was like thinking that someone sold someone out because it was hijacked while someone else was trying to steal it. And remember earlier, I talked about how now they were stealing from other gangs and that was just making everyone super mad. See, this all kind of is coming full circle, but you had to know everyone's upset with everyone. Where it's all had, falling you together. know the reasons why. So the plan now, since Bugs was one of the last guys left, The plan was to lure Bugs to the warehouse on North Clark Street on February 14th in 1929 to kill him and two or three of his, you know, little little flagling followers, his lieutenants. So that's where we get the story of the whiskey import, because the Detroit Purple Gang, who is part of Capone, was who the import was supposed to be supplied by. But Moran's boys were trying to steal it and hijack it. So did these I mean, they're like 
They're bosses. Like, do they not have wives to, to have Valentine's Day festivities with? I mean, if your mob husband comes home and says, hey, I know it's Valentine's Day, but I got to go make a, you know, a quick hundred, hundred grand. You just wait, have dinner ready for me when I come home. You're going to do. It. Oh, well, yeah, if that's the plan. <laughs> but I'd be really pissed if that wasn't the plan. Well, I don't think you really have a choice if you're a mob. No, wife. no, you don't. I don't but. think they have like top tier hierarchies. I think I would probably die if I was a mob <laughs> Yeah, wife. you're a little too vocal about your opinions. You would <sighs> definitely get murdered. Yep. I think Margie would be a good mob wife because she's very quiet and like nice. They would they would like. But when she has an opinion. Oh, yeah. She has an opinion. (laughs) They would just straight murder her. She would give them one dirty look and they'd be like, all right, someone want to take a hit out on my wife? (laughs) Bye. So the Gusenberg brothers, the men from the earlier part of the story who were supposed to kill people and they failed. They were supposed to drive two empty trucks to Detroit that day to pick up two loads of stolen Canadian whiskey. And the Moran gang arrived to the warehouse at 10.30 a.m., but Bugs Moran wasn't there. He left his Parkway Hotel apartment late, which led to him not being part of the group. He and fellow gang member Ted Newberry approached the rear of the warehouse from a side street, and they saw a police car approaching the building. They immediately turned around and retraced their steps, going to a nearby coffee shop instead. There, they encountered the gang member Henry Gusenberg on the street and warned him of what they saw, so he turned around to go back. Al Capone's lookouts probably had mistook one of Moran's members for Moran himself, and that's why they were like, everything's good to go. Moran's inside, because there was this guy, Albert Wayneshank, who was the same height and build, and because when you go do these drug deals, you dress really nice in your suit and everything, it's kind of hard to differentiate these men and in the 1929s, I guess, because they all dress the same and look the same. Witnesses outside the garage saw a Cadillac sedan pull into the stop in the front of the garage. Four men emerged and walked inside, two of them dressed in police uniforms. Because remember, police are on the payroll and stuff. They probably also right. stole police uniforms because it was also known back then that if you could steal a police uniform, you can use it when you go rob places because no one will catch you then. And it's easier to get away. So the two fake police officers carried shotguns and entered the rear portion of the garage. They found members of Moran's gang, plus a man named Reinhardt Schwimmer and a man named John May, who was just fixing one of the trucks in the garage. The fake policemen ordered the men to be lined up against the wall, and they just opened fire on them. Two of the killers opened fire with the Thompson Tommy submachine guns, one with a 20-round box magazine and the other with a 50-round drum. The other shooters wore suits, ties, overcoats, hats, and had shotguns. Witnesses at the time said they were spraying their victims left and right, even continuing to fire after all seven had hit the floor. Sounds gruesome. It sounds awful if you were just in that area and loud in a garage. Be hella loud. If you were like on the level above them or below them, you would just hear everything. Two shotgun blasts afterward had all but obliterated the faces of John May and James Clark, according to one of the coroner reports. Witnesses saw the men in police uniforms leading other men at gunpoint out of the garage after the shooting to give the appearance that everything was under control. So, like, the police officer guys who are on the same side as the dressed men pretended that they were taking the dressed men out so that everyone can get away. Yeah. 
they that's got fucking it. brilliant like they got it no yeah. worries yeah they're like you're, oh, you're safe there was a shooting but look we solved it already we just happened to be on the scene right so the the men that were in street clothes came out with their hands up who were then prodded by the two uniformed policemen the victims of this incident included Northside gang members there was moran's second in command and his brother-in-law named albert kalshek his alias was james clark there was Abbott. What? There was <laughs> Adam. <laughs> Adam Heyer, who was the gang's bookkeeper and business manager. Albert Wayneshank, who managed several cleaning and dyeing operations for Moran. The gang enforcer boys, Frank Gusenberg and Peter Gusenberg. Reinhardt Schwimmer, who was a former optician who turned gambler and gang associate. And then John May, who was a mechanic for Moran's gang. The Chicago police officers, like the real ones. <laughs> not arrived, the ones. <laughs> yeah, not, not our shotgun toting boys here. They arrived at the scene and found the victim, Frank Gusenberg, was still alive. So he was taken to the hospital. Doctors stabilized him for a short period of time. Police started trying to question him, obviously. He sustained 14 bullet wounds, but the police were able to ask him still who did it. And as all gangsters do, you don't rat on people. He said, no one shot me. That that's some taking shit to your grave right there. Yeah, it is. Fourteen bullet wounds, and no and one, you just say no one, no one, yeah, no one. Okay, he died three hours later. I have some good news finally. Yay! May had his dog with him at this event named Highball, and he survived the whole thing. Good boy. <laughs> I'm very proud of Highball. <laughs> So within a few days, Capone had received a summons to testify before the Chicago grand jury on charges of federal prohibition violations, but he just claimed he was too sick. He can't, he can't come. He, he's too unwell. <laughs> I can't. I'm <laughs> sick. <laughs> Boo, you whore. <laughs> it was common knowledge that Moran was hijacking Capone's Detroit-based liquor shipments at this point, so the police focused their attention on Detroit's Purple Gang because they're like, well, if Moran Bugs is stealing from Capone, Capone's boys are going to be the ones so that are killing. Is the Purple Gang like another gang, but just like affiliated with? Yes. Okay. The Purple Gang is uh, I actually in the next paragraph. Look, the Purple Gang is related to Al Capone's gang and their brother gang in the Chicago district. Oh, OK, I had it for you. <laughs> I knew you would ask. Well, you said it before that they were like affiliated, but I didn't like really describe it. Yeah. Right. Some landladies named Mrs. Dottie and Mrs. Orvidson had taken in three men into the rooms 10 days before the massacre. Their rooming houses were directly across the street from the North Clark Street garage. So when it came time, they picked out mug shots of different Purple Gang members named George Lewis, Eddie Felcher, Phil Keywell, and his younger brother, Harry Keywell. That's kind of alluding to maybe it was... Al Capone's boys. <laughs> Allie Capone's? Allie. I keep forgetting the Allie part. <laughs> Allie Capone. <laughs> On February 22nd, 1929, police were called to the scene of a garage fire on Wood Street where they found a 1927 Cadillac sedan that had been disassembled and partially burned. They determined that this was the same car the killers had used. They traced the engine number to a Michigan Avenue dealer and they found out that car was sold to a man named James Morton of Los Angeles. The garage had been rented by a man who would call himself Frank Rogers, who gave an address of 1859 West North Avenue. 
This was the same address of the Circus Cafe, which was operated by Claude Maddox, who is a former St. Louis gangster who has ties to Al Capone and the Purple Gang, who worked for the St. Louis Gang, the Egan's Rats. Sounds like a little bit of a small world there. It's just a little too convenient how this is lined right. up. Another lead the police had found was from days earlier, actually just minutes before the killing, though, a truck driver named Elmer Lewis had sideswiped a police car a block away from the incident. The man left before a police report was filed, but witnesses described the event, and it made a lot of people notice they were describing a man named Fred Burke, who was a former member of the Egan's Rats. Burke was known to also own multiple police uniforms that he would wear on robbery sprees with the gangs for Al Capone's boys. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Up to this point, though, they said they only had loose leads on who could have been doing the shooting. No Which- kidding, because everyone's <laughs> affiliated with everyone, and every gang is affiliated with everybody else's gang, and everyone's wearing other people's gang things, so... It's like a giant fucking pretzel have at this no point. idea. <laughs> like... All they know is it's Al Capone's voice, but Al Capone's not going to talk. And it's what are they going to do? Send in an informant right now? Your informant's going to fucking die. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. I'm cussing a lot this episode. I'm so sorry, guys. Talking about mobs gets me all hot and bothered, all rooting, tooting over here. (laughs) You're still not in the West. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) I'm just, I'm wow, wow, Weston tonight. The case went cold until December 14th of 1929. Marion County, Michigan Sheriff's Department had raided a St. Joseph, Michigan bungalow. Excuse me? Where? Oh, St. Joe! You're from St. Joe! I'm from St. Joe! (laughs) I didn't put that together. I'm from Marion County. You know exactly where this is. You maybe have been to this house. No, I'm kidding. You probably haven't. I hope not. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Chances are my grandpa freaking roofed it. I thought you were going to say roofied it. I was like, I don't think you can just roof your whole no, house. No, Roofed it. Roofed it. Roof? Roofed Roof? It. I mean, that's... Rough. Roughed it? <laughs> oh. What do you call multiple roofs? 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 Roofs. Roofs. Roofs? Roofs? Roof? Just roof. <laughs> roofs. <laughs> roofs. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. I, I know, think but it's, it's like deer. I think it's just roof. Multiple roof is roof. No. It's roof. It's not roof. I keep trying to tell you that. Go get on the roof. Roof. You say rough? <laughs> no, you don't. It's a rough, isn't it? <laughs> tell me to get there. Like root beer. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not root beer. <laughs> Are you Amish now? It's no. root beer. Root beer. No. Okay. We're, How do you pronounce two O's? Ooh. Okay. Now complete root beer. But that's and not the root. same thing. <sighs> yes, it is. In food and good, they're different O's. No, they're not. <laughs> you do. Good. <laughs> it's not uh. It's not good. fun. Good. Good. G- uh. Uh. It's, no, you know, it's roof. still good. <laughs> Food, roof, good, rough. <laughs> Let's get back on track here. 
Corey will want to cut all that. He doesn't have to. No. <laughs> we can just leave that there right where it sits. So the case went cold. I'm just going to backtrack us a little bit, guys. So you know what we're talking about. <laughs> because I'm going to let I'm going to tell Corey to leave all that crazy nonsense that just happened. <laughs> the case went cold until December 14th, 1929, when the Berrien County, in Michigan. <laughs> Wait, what? The Berrien County. I was trying to say in Michigan, but it just like all became one word. Berrien County in Michigan. The sheriff's department there raided the St. Joe, Michigan bungalow who was supposedly owned by a man named Frederick Dane, but it had a registered owner vehicle that was driven by a man named Fred the Killer Burke. Again, don't like these nicknames. I want a, I want a mom nickname, though. What would be my mom nickname? Hmm. I don't know. Mountain Dew breath. <laughs> <laughs> I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. (laughs) Burke had been drinking that night, so he rear-ended another vehicle and drove off. That kind of makes it sound like the same guy that, like, sideswiped the police car and drove off. Hmm. Patrolman Charles Skelly had pursued, and he finally forced Burke off the road. Skelly hopped into the running board of Burke's car, but he was shot three times and died of his wounds that night. The car was found wrecked and abandoned outside of St. Joe, and they traced it back to Fred Dane. If all these people are named Fred, just just know they're all the same fucking person. (laughs) Jesus. We all know mobs use fake names. At this time, police photos confirmed that Dane was Burke. Shocking. Shocking. So they wanted to have the Chicago Police Department have participation and see if he was part of the participants of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So they were like, hey, look at these photos of Fred, Killer, Burke, Dane, Frederick, Mann, Sir guy. And tell us if it's the same person. (laughs) He only has 37 names. (laughs) Police raided Burke's bungalow and they found a large trunk that contained a bulletproof vest $320,000 in bonds that were recently stolen from a Wisconsin bank, two Thompson Tommy gun, Tommy machine guns, some pistols, two shotguns, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. There are variational reports that say there was also police uniforms there, but no one can confirm or deny it. St. Joe authorities immediately notified the Chicago Police Department and they requested both machine guns to try to test the rounds. We have to find where this bungalow is. It'd be cool to visit. It's so close. We could literally drive there. Right. (laughs) That's literally why you were saying it. I get it now. Okay. Right. (laughs) Took me a second. Like I need to know the street. I thought I just created that thought. And then I looked at you and I realized that was your thought. And I took it as my own. Just like (laughs) literally sitting here with it on my face. (laughs) Whoops. Another thing is, I was thinking, since there was variational reports about if the, I don't know if variational is a word, if there was, there it is, okay. the police uniforms, what city were the yeah, police uniforms? Yeah, were they St. Joe That's ones what I'm or Chicago ones? Also, these men get around so fast. Detroit to Chicago to St. Joe to Wisconsin? Wisconsin is four hours. That's a long drive, but like. Yeah. Well, driving to all of these hours. back and forth, that's a decent amount. It's annoying. Yeah. And they didn't have cars like we do. Like, they're not going 80 miles an hour. The one guy was on a goddamn horse in the exactly. park. <laughs> I wonder how long that would take. A long time. Like six. And also, you hours. have to remember, 
you're driving with all this <clears throat> stolen money and stolen bonds and all these guns and stuff. And like, you wouldn't feel safe and you're on the run. I don't know. There's a lot of variations. I don't here. know. When you keep doing it for a while, you just like get used to it. Well, I guess right? I don't think I'm made to be a mobster. I don't think I have you enough have balls. Way too much anxiety the whole time. Yeah. It's like I'd be nervous. I'd also <laughs> think that I would do stuff wrong. I'd be like, you know, don't put the dye packs in, please. <laughs> that would be inconvenient for me. <laughs> like I'd be a really bad robber. They used new science called forensic ballistics to identify both weapons that were used in the massacre, but no further concrete evidence had surfaced in the massacre case. I didn't know gun ballistics went back that far, back in the 19, almost 30s at this point. Well, you would imagine that's when everyone starts to realize that they need some sort of science to prove things. True. <laughs> and I mean, that is how most... Um, Crimes were being committed, as we're learning. Burke was captured a year later on a Missouri farm. Again, getting all over. Okay. <laughs> He's just running. The case against him was strong in the connection to the murder of Officer Skelly. So he was tried in the Michigan court systems of St. Joe, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment, and he died in prison in 1940. There are a few other people who aren't technically linked and they can't be linked, but they have claims to have been part of the tragedy that was the St. Valentine's Day massacre. On January 8th in 1935, FBI agents surrounded a Chicago apartment building at 3920 North Pine Grove that was looking, they were looking for remaining members of a fellow gang. A brief shootout had erupted and it resulted in the death of a bank robber named Russell Gibson. And taken into custody were Doc Barker, Byron Bolton, and two random women. These names you haven't really heard before, but they were part of gangs, so they were kind of just trying to get um, information also. But Bolton was a Navy machine gunner and an associate of the Egan, Egan's Rats. So he had been the valet of the Chicago hitman, Fred Goats. It's Getz. Getz? Okay. I like Goats better. <laughs> Fred Getz, Goats. Bolton claimed to have taken part in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre with Goaty Getz <laughs> and Fred Burke and the others. And he named Fred Burke. So that's kind of like a, oh, maybe he was there because it wasn't like well known that they thought that Fred Burke was in on it. So that's kind of like a, a plus point for them. During a trial, Bolton had claimed that he and Jimmy Moran, who is related to Bugs Moran, were charged with watching the parking garage in Chicago, and they were supposed to phone and signal to the killers at the Circus Cafe when Bugs Moran arrived at the meeting. Bolton guessed that the actual killers had been Burke, Winkler, Getz, Bob Carey, Raymond Crane Neck Nugent, and Claude Maddox. So they thought there was four shooters and two getaway drivers. Which that makes sense for, like, the amount of people and clothing we heard, because... We heard two police officers, so that could be the two getaway drivers. Four shooters, that's two of the, like, normal dress men and two of the men in their nice uniforms. There was at least two shotgunners and two Tommy guns, and that would be four people. And two people probably staying in the car, two getaway drivers. That's six. That that does, you know, that makes sense. You know what boggles my mind is, like, because it it was so easy to get away with crime then because like you can't just like call the police on your phone yeah and you, you can't have to just run check the 
you can't just check the footage. Yeah. There was nothing to do. Or even like to get to a payphone, you got to run to somewhere. Yeah. You just have to. You just had to hope a police officer was walking by right then. And witness. Witnesses. You had to go by witnesses. But also imagine a police officer was walking by and they see other police officers inside this building in uniforms. They could be like, we'll wait out here. And then everyone just runs out the back. Right. Because <laughs> like, they're like, oh, they got it. Like, we're good. I don't really want to commit crimes, but if I did, I would want to do them back in the day. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. It'd be way easier. Bolton had given an account for the massacre, but it was different from the one that was told by other historians. He claimed he only saw plainclothes men exit the Cadillac and go into the garage, but that would indicate that a second car was used by the killers. George Brishett had claimed to have seen two uniformed men exiting a car in the alley and entering the garage through rear doors. These are all just different gang people that I'm naming now. I'm not going to go into all their like titles and stuff. I'm just kind of telling you guys. So that was a great story, but it had no evidence that could support it. But it also didn't have any evidence that could deny it. So over the years, many mobsters have been named as part of the Valentine's Day hit team. But only four to eight people really were probably part of it. Two prime suspects are the hitmen John Scalis and Albert <laughs> Anselmi. Mm-hmm. In the days after the massacre, Scalis was heard to be bragging, I'm the most powerful man in Chicago. However, three men, Scalis, Anselmi, and Ganita, were found dead on a lonely road near Hammond, Indiana on May 8th in 1929. Gangland lore has it that Capone had discovered the plan were planning the pair were planning to play to player and him. Just take a minute. <laughs> Al Capone had discovered that the pair were planning to betray him with a B betray. I said it with a P, but I meant to be my bad. Legend states that Capone... I'm just going to fucking restart it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to. No, it sucked. (sighs) Gangland lore has it that Capone had discovered that the pair were planning to betray him. Legend states that Capone produced a baseball bat at the climax of a dinner party thrown in their honor and was going to beat the trio to death. So we don't know. Technically, this is an unsolved massacre. I just gave you as much information as I could. But if you ask anyone, they'll tell you all about how Al Capone set up the St. Val- Valentine's Day massacre to be a hit. But it's unsolved. No one went to jail for it. Nothing happened. Any of that bad stuff. And they'll never find it. They'll no. never figure it out because there's it was so long ago. Yeah, nothing. Unless like someone wrote about it in their journal and some great, yeah. great grandkid finds it in another generation or something like i mean that could be a thing the 19 this happened in almost 1930 let's say and it's 2022 now so that's 70 80 90 90 years and these men were probably around 30 at the time so 120 ish so like this generation or the next generation could be the people to find stuff out truly yeah past that i don't think it's gonna get solved because then it's gonna kind of die out yeah it'll just be like a cool story to hear about oh god this crazy gang war right so the saint valentine's day massacre it was an attack that effectively had ended a many year long gang war between al capone and the north side gang 
The feud had presumably started years before when the Northside gang leader Dion O'Bannon had swindled Johnny Torrio in a deal for the Prohibition Brewery that O'Banion knew would be raided by the police. But the second scenario, believed to be the reason for the killings, was Capone found out. Bugs's gang was going to hijack Capone's booze shipments, and phony shipments were set up to lure Moran, Moran's gang, and it met a demise. We don't know. And we're never going to. So I did um, use a few different sources. I read the book Bloody Valentine, The Bloody History of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre by John Flurry. I also had audiobooked listen to The St. Valentine's Day Massacre by William J. Helmer and Arthur J. Bilek. I watched two different documentaries, The St. Valentine's Day Massacre by History Channel and The History Detective St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which was actually done by PBS, but you can find it on YouTube. It was a pretty, it, there was so much that I obviously didn't get to, and I could just probably talk about this for hours. I really like talking about gangs and mobsters and stuff. Like I could talk about like the Chapos, Los Zetos, all that kind of stuff. I'm very interested in that kind of stuff or like Cuban gangs and stuff like that. So this case was like, yes, it was so cool. Cause I got to also like dive into all this folklore of gangs and I, I call it folklore cause we don't know what is and isn't true. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. So being from St. Joe, I know okay. a little bit of the history. But in this time, St. Joe was actually the lesser of St. Joe and Benton Harbor because you had to cross the bridge to go to Benton Harbor. So it was safer. Really? Yes. So like because they didn't have like means to like go over. So, like, I mean, like everybody, like just your random Joe didn't have ability to go over the bridge. That's kind of there wild. was no bridge. So it was just so St. Joe was run down. So that's why he lived in St. Joe nonetheless. And, and crappy. And Ben Harbor was like the, the thriving. That makes a lot of sense then why he would live there, because probably he was trying to rob Benton Harbor areas. But he lived in St. Joe because it was it, that's how he could try to do it. Mm hmm. Mm. That's crazy to know. I never heard that before. Yeah. And it we still have gangs going through that area because it's direct. 94 is a direct shot to St. Joe, Chicago and Detroit. Like they're literally. I didn't. I heard recently um, a few years ago because I'm not from here. I didn't know that the word Michiana. So that's like a really common term here. People say Michiana everything like. And it's not an actual you go to word. The store, you know, are you going near the Michiana area? I didn't, I thought Michiana was like a city that I just haven't found yet. Cause like there's so many <laughs> small cities. I found out that Michiana stands for Michigan, Indiana border area. Mm -hmm. And it's anything that's because it's so close and people intertwine so much here. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's not an actual word. Like they haven't yeah. made it an actual word. And one day finally I was just like, where's Michiana? I have to go there later. And someone's <laughs> like, where do you have to go in Michiana? I was like in Michiana. And they're like, where, where in like, Michiana? Like, I'm like, in Michiana. I just kept repeating it like I do. We all know. How'd that work out for you? It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to some shout outs and things. <laughs> so we want to give a big thank you to Damon Vakovsky for our wonderful theme song. Damon, we want another theme song. Make us another one. We want some fun ones. Jazz it up. Jazz it up. You guys Ooh. all want to hear more fun Jazz ones. it up. Ooh, jazz. Ooh. Jazz. That a little could be snap fun. in action in there. Yeah. Mm. 
Our artwork is done by the amazing Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. He's been working hard on getting these giveaway pictures. He is so talented. So talented. And guys, guess what? We decided no one understands. Some of you might know the folklore behind it. I'm going to keep using the term folklore. Why our picture looks the way it does with three creatures in the soup. Some of you don't know the story, but we decided we're going to change it up because Kylie and I are two people. So why not have only two people in the soup? That makes too many people. There's too many people in the the soup. The soup is getting a little crowded. So we have some cool stuff coming your way, guys. Just keep your eye on the on the horizon. I'm really ex- <laughs> okay. I'm really excited. I wasn't though. meaning that in a pirate's term. I meant that it more was in definitely like a- in a pirate's no. term. No. UFOs. Oh, look at the UFOs. The cows. The cows. The cows. <laughs> the cow. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. By the way, I hope you guys understand the dots are like periods. <laughs> it's like core period media period photography. Like it's like periods in it's between like words. Dot com. Yeah. Like you don't say period com. I, but like I just wanted everyone to know that it's not really like don't spell to- it all out. And people are like, damn, his username's long as shit. You really needed to <laughs> emphasize. I wanted to. <laughs> Corey does a lot for us, so we want to always say thank you. Go follow him. Do it. Yeah. Tell him how cool his artwork is. He's trying to get this really cool opportunity, and we're we're really hoping that he gets it. We're rooting for him. Rooting and doing. I knew you were going to say it. As soon as I said rooting, I was like. He's a rootinest, tootinest cowboy in the wild, wild west. They're going to say tootin'. They're going to say it. I just got to. So we just want to say thank you guys so much for being part of the Cryptic Soup fam. Don't forget to follow our Instagram at Cryptic Soup Pod, where our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. Also, you can always leave an Apple podcast review and rating. It'll give you shout outs. It'll also tell us what we need to fix or what you love, things like that. You can give us any sort of feedbacks through the DMs and everything. We did get some feedback recently. We didn't realize... We forgot that people don't always know who we are. And someone's like, you guys never introduce yourself in the episode. And it wasn't until the last like two minutes of the episode that I knew who Athena was and who Kylie was. And I was maybe like, it's part of the history before the mystery. It is. You guys just have to get to know us. <laughs> You'll find out eventually. I don't know. We did it in this episode. It didn't seem horrible, but I don't it's know. just Let weird know. introducing yourself. It really is. Like, I don't forced. like saying my name. Yeah. No, because like when you say like, I'm Kylie, like. I don't think I introduce myself. I feel like I let other people, I don't be like, hey, I'm Thena. I'm just like, hey, what's up? And they'll be like, this is my friend Thena. And then you're like, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah that's true. I don't yeah. feel like I say my name very Or like, often. hi, nice to meet you, is you normally like my response. Yeah. Or I feel like most times I interact with people before I meet them. So they at least saw like my username, something. They know who I am. That sounds kind of like I'm being pretentious. A little bit. I'm not. I just don't meet new people very often. <laughs> so you're that's what I meant Got more it. by it. Like I meet new squirrels in the front yard (laughs) i meet new dogs at dog parks not humans never humans nah what does it all cost also we're gonna start our final Final fridays Fridays. so food we're so excited to do that so definitely uh follow our instagram if not for our weird quirky stupid episode (laughs) 
They made a pretzel with their headphone wires. Headphone wires. Yeah. To tie in the story today. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, to see the final Food Fridays. Yeah. I didn't realize you were talking. I'll be honest. <laughs> I didn't notice I cut you off. So if not to follow us because we're cool and awesome, follow us because we're going to we're going to really start with food. Yeah, we're going to impress y'all with our mad dog cooking skills. I mean, we're really not bad. We're not bad. Wouldn't say we're chef level. We're no Aaliyah Waldman's, if you will. But we are. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, she's a really good cook. We're definitely not Dave Ramsey. We are no D- Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Gordon. Then, I was going to repeat it too in the process. Dave Ramsey. Uh, so guys, we should cut this off because we're getting a little loopy. <laughs> Remember to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. We will see you for the next episode next Tuesday. Stay tuned. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not what you expected at all, is a it? A pretzel is like the best description of this case. It really is. Because every time you think we're about to make it, you're like, oh, we're going around again. Nope. <laughs> oh, oh, we got something new. Oh, we're going around again. <laughs> so, mm, that hurt. Are you, are you okay? Uh, it just happens sometimes. I get caught on the outside of my teeth. <laughs> okay. Do you like that? I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, I hate it. Sorry. <laughs> Do you like that? I hate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just really hate. I don't know why. Saying your really, own name? Yeah. Yeah, same. If I could be like, hey guys, that's Kylie. And you'd be like, this is Thena. But I don't like that any better. No. But it'll get really confusing. Yeah. But I don't like saying my own name. Yeah. Why? Why is I that? I don't a know. Thing? Okay. It what just the paused. fuck? How does iPads work? What? Where's my little? There it is. Drats, Corey. Drats. You're not being very zany right now. Okay, that was not a thing last week, and it's not a thing <laughs> now. You can make it a thing. No, we cannot. <sighs>